Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Middle Initial Z Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And I have a special guest with me today, Guy Hoffer, who's sitting about four feet away from me. And I noticed when you arrived today, you were wearing a Martin baseball hat. Yes. And I have seen you play a Martin guitar. Yes, that's true. How long have you been playing Martin guitars? Well, it was a gift to myself when I uh, retired from working. So uh, it was in 2013 when I got that guitar. So what did you retire from? Uh, education. I was, uh, oh, let's see, I was a teacher for 14 years and then uh, moved into counseling. Uh, from counseling, guidance counselor in high school, I went to um, Frederick uh, County Public Schools and worked at TJ as a, sort of a crisis counselor for 10 years. And then I went into administration, which was the biggest mistake I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the politics entered into it, I guess. Yes, yes, absolutely. So what did you teach? Uh, I taught French and Spanish. Two languages. Yes. Um, that's a long story, too. Um, I wanted to major in French and go back to my old high school and teach French. Um, and so when I went to apply for the job at my old high school, they said, well, you know, we'll be glad to hire you for French, but you need to be able to teach Spanish, too, also. And so I said, um, but, you know, I haven't. This was in the second semester of my senior year of college. And so um, what I did was I started taking Spanish classes, both uh, in person and online, so that I could pick up a minor in Spanish uh, so that I could go back to my old high school and teach. So when I did go into the classroom, I had, uh, well, at that time, we taught five classes. And so I taught four classes of Spanish and one of French and was always a chapter ahead of the kids when you know, <laughs> first heard, started out. I've heard that from a lot of teachers where they have to study the week before for next week's lessons. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So where was your hometown? Where was it you wanted to go back and, and teach? Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago and was there until 1985 when I moved out here. My best friend and I went back to our old high school to teach. And he was frustrated because he wanted to become a principal. And we worked for a private parochial school. And back then, that wasn't uh, possible for him. Uh, he had moved up in administration as far as he could go. So he applied throughout the country to become a principal and was hired in Frederick County as the principal of uh, Middletown High. Oh. And so that. The summer after his first year, he invited my wife and I out to uh, visit. And um, he always had an ulterior motive, and the ulterior motive was to try and entice me to come out here. Um, and Frederick is absolutely beautiful. And so, anyway, while we were out here touring and stuff, he said, uh, You know, I have an opening in guidance. Uh, at Middletown, would you be willing to come back, come come here to uh, uh, work as a guidance counselor? And I looked at my wife and she said, I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and I grew up together. We, we met in elementary school, went to high school together, college together, went back to our old high school to teach together. So anyway, um, 
she said, I'll give you two years. If I don't like it, we're going back to Chicago. All her family, she has seven brothers, all her family is in Chicago. Uh, I couldn't get her to move now. Really? Yeah. She's, she's here. She loves it here. So when she plans some sort of a holiday, she tells the brothers, you're, you're coming here. <laughs> well, I wish it were that way, but no, they, we have to go in to <laughs> Chicago. Um, as a matter of fact, since we've been here, we've been here almost 40 years now, I guess. And um, her one brother, six of her brothers, uh, is that right? Five of her brothers have been here. One has not since we moved here. And he finally came for Thanksgiving. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was his first trip He here. finally discovered what, what it what it is about Frederick County that you like so much. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. So now, were you playing guitar this whole time? When did you start playing guitar? I was eight years old. Really? Yes. Um, it's of age. <laughs> um, they used to laugh about it because I had this ukulele, and I used to come along, and I'd have my legs dangling off of the side of the stage playing a ukulele, and I'd broken all the strings but one, but I was playing away. <laughs> So anyway, um, until I was 16, I, I used to uh, go with him. Um, and I might, uh, let's see, when I was 12, he bought me my first uh, acoustic guitar. I started on a Gibson hollow body electric mm -hmm. um, uh, that came along with the lessons. He, he was very much uh, a person who felt that it was really important to have a, a, an understanding of music mm -hmm. as well as to be able to play. And so uh, he got me lessons. Um, and uh, like I said, I played the uh, Gibson electric uh, until I was 12. And then he, they bought my first uh, acoustic guitar. And that was called an E Ross. Never heard of that one. It's an Italian think. made guitar. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I still have it. I, you do? Yes. Is it still playable? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, whenever I go to any of the open jams, I usually bring that one instead of the Martin. Why? Um, I guess it's uh, nostalgia. You know, I want to uh, sort of, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but it, it just brings back memories of my family and all the all the fun that I had playing that guitar, you know, I brought that thing to the beach and, you know, it's, it's a sturdy, good, solid sounding, uh, good sounding guitar. So, you know, and so I guess for nostalgic reasons, I, I continue to play it. Now, how long did you play that before you transitioned to another brand or to a Martin, if the, the Martin was the next brand? The Martin was the next brand. Um, and then after I retired, um, <laughs> That's when I started collecting guitars. <laughs> um, at, at the uh, dismay of my wife, she she's was not happy. I, I now own a Cordova um, nylon string and a uh, an electric nylon string guitar. Um, Is it Godin? Godin, yeah. yes. Um, and then uh, I have uh, a guitar made out of... Uh, some other material uh, that I use as a traveling guitar. We, we have gone to Antigua over the summers, and so I wanted to have a travel guitar so I could play. Um, 
and I forget what what the name of that one is, but uh, it's real uh, sturdy, small, mm -hmm. uh, easy to travel with. Um, and let's see, I think that's it, I guess. So at home, do you play the Martin more often or the E. Ross? Uh, I play the E. Ross most often. I, I want to protect mm -hmm. that Martin. That Martin is my baby. Yeah. She, um, you know, I love playing it. Um, I probably should play it more often. Um, you had mentioned something about uh, GarageBand, and I was wondering if, you know, you thought that that produced good quality because I'd like to record some things. Uh, it it can. <laughs> the trick is the the microphone, what how good of a quality the microphone is, and huh. where you place it. I see. And how you EQ it, although in many instances you tend to record flat. Like you had asked me at the Sky Stage that one time about running sound. Right. In live sound, what I do, and it was explained to me to, to do this, is start, if you've got the row of sliders, or if you've got the three dials, low, mids, and highs, right. start with everything in what we, they call detent, which is zero. You're not adding any frequencies or taking away any frequencies. And then listen, and then remove the frequencies that don't sound good. I see. The human voice tends to be a mid-range instrument. Mm -hmm. An acoustic guitar is also a mid-range instrument. Right. So if you're singing and playing a guitar, you're competing with each other, especially if you're playing a guitar, an acoustic guitar that has mahogany back and sides, because that's more heavily mid-range. I see. Whereas a rosewood would be somewhat scooped in the mid-range. When they say scooped, it just means the mid-range frequencies are dropped. And that's just the natural sound of rosewood. It accentuates the low end. Well, it doesn't so much accentuate it, it just drops the mids, so it sounds like it accentuates the lows and the highs. I see. Also has more of a natural reverb sound. Uh -huh. If you play a spruce top, rosewood back and side, acoustic guitar without miking it or anything, and then you pick up a mahogany guitar that has a spruce top, the mahogany guitar, a lot of the fingerstyle players like that and the bluegrass people it doesn't have as much natural reverb <clears throat> excuse me it's almost a drier sound woodier sound i see um i personally like rosewood for two reasons one i like that natural reverb sound and two since i like to sing the guitar is not competing with my voice uh -huh. as much as it would be so in live sound what i do is theoretically i start at neutral and that's what I tell people to do. Start at neutral and then just probably drop some of the mids. If it's just the low, mid, and high dial. I see. Drop the mids to maybe 10 o'clock. Ah. If you're getting a little bit of a high-pitch squeal, then you probably need to lower the, the highs. I see. And you'll get that when, and you've probably see, seen people the first time they ever perform at an open mic and they'll say, I'm a little nervous, I've never done this before. And it depends on the host and how good they are with the controls. The person will get up to the mic and they'll say something or they'll immediately jump back because uh -huh. they're not used to hearing their voice louder than it is when they hear it from speaking normally. Right. The problem with that is if they move back automatically while they, while they sing, the microphone's working harder to pick up their voice. So what it's uh -huh. doing is it's picking up, if you increase the volume to pick up their voice more, it's also picking up a lot of the room noises, and you're more apt to get a squeal. 
Uh-huh. So when I did the sound for the FSK Christmas show, uh-huh. what, two weeks ago, week yeah. and a half ago, I had to mic the elementary school choirs. Right. And I'd never really done that before, but so I took two microphones, put the mic stands as high as I could, angled them down so I could kind of pick up everybody. Sure. Right. And the first thing I did is I dropped the, the highs almost completely down. Oh. Because they they were going to be so far from the microphone, and it actually worked really really well. I think I increased them a little bit, uh-huh. but I didn't have any squeal that I probably would have if I'd left it at detent or whatever. And what you'll see sometimes is, and you'll hear it more on guitars, and more if they have an, a pickup in the guitar that has an undersaddle pickup. Okay. When they strum it, you either are going to get a heavy low end boom. Or a real brittle sound, oh. and be, and those are usually the guitars where they've got the preamp in the side, and there's three sliders, yes. low mids and highs. Yes, and so often when I ran open mics, I would say, "Just play for me," you know. I'd, I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds horrible." I'd go over and I'd say, oh, "I see you've got this thing in the side here." I play dumb. How do you set those? Because I'd noticed the highs are all the way up, and all the lows and mids are all the way down, so uh-huh. there's nothing but brittle. Uh-huh. They'd look at it and go, what do you mean? How do I set them? Well, how do you set them? Well, it's however the guitar comes out of the case. <laughs> so I would then say, may make a suggestion. Well, yeah. And then I would slide them to where it sounded good. Uh-huh. I said, just remember that. That's a good place to start. So to answer your a very long-winded detour there to answer your question about garage bands, garage bands, there have been... CDs or albums made by big time performers, which are hit records or close, what I would call a hit record, doesn't mean it made the charts, it just means that I think it's really good. Uh-huh. And it was all done on garage bands. Is that right? It's just a simpler version. There's things you cannot do because it just doesn't have the capability. Uh-huh. It doesn't have as many sound files where you could add a, you know, a piano or add this, because a lot of the programs now, and Pro Tools is the big one, they've got all these add-ons that you and I would never use. All we need is EQ, a little reverb and some compression, maybe a little um, echo uh-huh. or delay, sure. maybe. Uh-huh. The, but it's best to record fairly flat and then do all the EQing in what we call post-production. Oh. Now, when you say flat, you don't mean vocally flat. You mean... No, just EQ. Don't yeah. add and don't take away yeah, I any see. frequencies. I the, see. Um, unless you have to, to get a, a halfway decent sound immediately. In a recording studio, and I'm going to be going back into the recording studio on next Thursday and Friday. Um, we're going to be doing the percussion tracks for some of the songs I've recorded. And the studio is down in Poolsville area. I see. And you're more than welcome to come down one of those days. It'll be a fairly long day. All we would be doing is sitting in the control room while the percussionist is adding the percussion to it. Uh-huh. But it's a lot of fun. And speaking of that, see that CD right there? That's, I gave that to you. That's one that's, that's the only song we've recorded in the last year that's actually been finalized. Oh. So that's the actual, send it out into the, you know, Ethernet or cyberspace or whatever you want to call it. That's that's it. So I wanted you to have that. Well, thank you. But to give you an idea, those are the people who recorded Mark Nelson right there. He's the fellow who's going to be doing the, the percussion on those songs. I see. So again, to answer your question, GarageBand is a terrific program. It really depends on 
the quality of the microphone, where you place it in relation to the sound hole, uh-huh. and then how you set the you know the frequencies, the EQs and things when you're recording it. And I think I mentioned this to you, uh, but I've mentioned it to many people. It's if it sounds good to you, it probably sounds good to them. <laughs> okay. If it sounds bad to you, then it sounds bad to them. Sure. They may not realize that because not everybody has a good ear. Uh-huh. But the whole idea of running sound live for me is to make that performer, no matter how good or bad they actually perform, mm-hmm. to sound the best that they can at that given moment. Yeah, I see. So that someone who's in the audience who knows music and can tell whether something is good or not, they may say, well, they can't really play that well. But the sound's pretty good. Uh-huh. In other words, not the sound of them playing, but the, 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 the overall. overall. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's all you're doing. Because the GarageBand is a terrific program. It's fairly easy to use once you figure it out. I see. Well, that's on my list of things to do then starting this January. Well, you have, you've been retired, would you say, 10 years? Uh, 2013 is when I retired. Yeah. 10 years goes by quickly, doesn't it? it when we sure get to does. our age. It's amazing. <laughs> Just, it's, you know, I, I met someone who I hadn't seen in probably five or six years the other night at a Christmas party. And then I saw her daughter last night at the Messiah at the Weinberg. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I saw your mom last week. Great to see her. She goes, looks pretty good for 88, doesn't she? And I went, 88? Wow. Wait a minute, that's the, um, whoa, that's too close for comfort. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. So on the, you're going to ask a question. Well, I was just going to say, um, it, two years ago, um, talk about nostalgia. Um, when my dad passed away, I inherited his fiddle. Oh, and it sat for, well, until two years ago and collected dust, basically. And so I decided, given what I know about music, I'm going to give this a shot and see if I can learn how to play it. I remember when I was about uh, 16 or 17, I said to my dad, I said, do you think I could play the fiddle? He looked at me, he said, no. <laughs> and I think in the back of his mind, he was thinking, well, you know, the fiddle has no frets. Mm-hmm. You've been playing with frets your whole life. There's no pick, and bowing is the actual challenge to playing the fiddle. So I think he was probably thinking, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But I didn't let that hold me back, so I've picked up the fiddle since then. So how's it gone? Not bad. Um, you know, I'm able to uh, play tunes not very fast. You know, I have to play them slows so that they're accurate. And to be honest with you, I would like to record something that my grandkids can remember. We don't, when I was growing up, my dad would bring the fiddle and I'd bring the guitar and uh, we'd sit around and play together Mm -hmm. and everybody would sing along and, you know, we'd go to picnics and do the same kind of thing. My family doesn't do that. Um, First of all, my my daughter's family, the kids are running off in all different kinds of directions, and uh, my son lives in North Carolina, so it's hard to, to do that. Um, but what I would like to do is leave something so that um, they can remember me by. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, uh, his band made an album. It was a vinyl album, and it got all warped 
and I, I can't find it anywhere anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't have that opportunity to listen to my dad play. He was really good. You know, he played violin in the orchestra when he was in high school and um, then went on to the service and played uh, bluegrass and that kind of music, old time, uh, the standards from that era. Um, and then when he joined up with, uh, they were called the Kenosha Cornhuskers. Oh, cool. What a neat name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy that uh, booked their jobs was the guy who wrote the jingle to um, Oscar Mayer. Oh, really? Yeah. His yeah. name was Dick Trentledge. He, uh, um, he was the promoter, I guess is what you would call him. Um, but like I said, you know, I had that album and it got ruined and you know, that's the problem with, um, it's a, the original LPs were more of a ceramic type of a plastic. Uh-huh. I'd seen and they were brittle you know, as kids. Oh, yeah, you know, that. We were told don't drop these. Right. And then the problem with the, the more modern ones from the, the late fifties on is yes, they do. They warp. Yep. Leave them in the sunlight or whatever it is. Uh, so many of the 45s we had as kids, if, if I find a box of them, take them out, half of them are either so scratched because we used to pull them out like playing cards, <laughs> not realizing we're putting crosshatch, you know. On yeah, exactly. Or somehow they get you know, stored next to the heater or something like that, and you yeah, right. pick it up and it's, it's, the stylus can't follow it. Right. Too many hills and valleys. Exactly. Well, that would be fun if you could somehow find the recording so you'd have to have that for your dad. Of, of your dad's recording from yeah, the band. Yeah, I, I wish I could. Um, I, I I don't even know where to begin to look, to be honest with you. I, I contacted, uh, Mr. Trentledge died, um, so I was able to find his daughter, and I contacted her and asked her if she had anything like that, and she didn't. But she was one of the vocalists. Oh, really? Yeah. On, uh, he wrote the jingle, and then his family is, are the uh, the voices we voices hear? that we that is, re, were that were recorded when they played that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just touch you for <laughs> because as kids we used to sing that jingle all the time. Yep, I did too. You know, and I I didn't realize this until I started researching um, Mr. Trentledge and finding his daughter, and then you know that's when I discovered that he wrote the. The jingle, my dad never told me that. <laughs> well, you know, probably fr from your dad's perspective, it's just, oh, that's a guy I know. He does this kind of stuff. Yeah, no right. Big, no big deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he got them uh, a gig on the uh, Old Opry. Did he really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And which is, from what I understand, that's not an easy thing to have happen. Yeah. You have to know somebody or you have to be in on their radar so that they think you're worthy of that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that band was excellent. They mm -hmm. had a guitar player who was my idol, at, you know, as a kid growing up. That's why, you know, I brought my guitar and that goofy ukulele with me and stuff. But um, he, he played uh, professionally. He was on the radio. Um, they had a bass player um, who would fill in with uh, mandolin every once in a while. And then they had this accordionist who had this huge amp that he would plug his accordion into. And uh, in addition to the square dancing and stuff, they would play 
dance music. They were known as a square dance band that would teach people how to square dance that evening. Wow. So, and I got to be the, the, I got to play the female part when I got older. <laughs> My dad would bring me up on stage and he'd say, all right, guy, come on, <laughs> you know. We, we need to show the people how to do the do si do and all that kind of yeah, thing. As long so. as he didn't do the Ginger Rogers thing where, <laughs> yeah. you know, I do everything he does but backwards in high heels. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so from a fingering standpoint, with no frets on the vi- or the fiddle, and, mm-hmm. you know, it took me years to realize that the fiddle and a violin are the same instrument is how you play the darn thing. <laughs> that's right. Because that's one of those big questions people who don't know if you pose the question they go oh gosh you know i don't know know? (laughs) and it's a it's a but anyways and it's a very small fretboard yes which when you've flattened the the tips of your fingers it gets a little bit more of a challenge to hit the right notes and stuff but um the advantage is there are no frets Mm -hmm. so you can move your fingers just a tiny bit and you're on you hit the right note um, but what I've learned is that there's patterns uh, that your fingers follow. So um, just to give you an example, your uh, first finger is starts here. Um, I guess yeah, people can yeah. see this, right? Well, no, because I don't have the cameras going. Oh, okay. The audio, yeah. Anyway, um, then your t- uh, middle two fingers are close together and the third finger is farther apart. That's one of the patterns that um, the uh, scales follow. And then from that, you can, you know, pick out tunes and stuff. Was it difficult to learn a scale? At first, Mm -hmm. um, but not difficult in the sense that there's a lot of good books out there that, you know, show you these patterns that your fingers need to follow. Um, The real uh, hard part, I find, is the bowing. because you, the bow, even though you have rosin on the bow, it slips around if you don't follow ex- the exact same uh, direction. So you have to teach your arm not to move even just a little bit because that can change the sound. Oh, I, I see. So in other words, you, it would be almost like it has to be exactly at 180 degrees. Yes, because if you move it slightly, it's going to, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it sort of moves in an arc right. and slides all over the strings, and then it sounds really bad. Yeah. The, uh, do you remember Red Skelton? Yes. Oh, for sure. I, and I don't recall the actual title of the music that was the theme song. I always referred to it as the Red Skelton theme. I, I probably. And they, they pluck it on the violin. Yes. And I didn't realize how they made that sound until I was, I think it was seventh or eighth grade. And we had one of those assemblies where you all file into the, you know, the, I think we were in the gymnasium because that's where the stage was uh-huh. in so many schools. Right. And they had, I thought it was a full orchestra, probably it was only 15 people. Might not even have been that big. It might have been more of a, a you know, like a five or eight piece. But anyways, they introduced, and they said, you're going to recognize this tune. They got up. And they, they plucked that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that's how they played that. Uh-huh. And I've always loved that. And you, I should look that up because I haven't heard that in a long time. But it's... I think it's called pizzicato. Oh, okay. I think that's what it's called. 
But what a great sound. Oh, yeah, for sure. There was a girl who came through Frederick. We're talking 20 years ago plus. We did the, the Monday Night Songwriter Showcase at Brewer's Alley for many years. And before that, it was Westside Cafe. Remember people talking about that, yeah. Yep. And when we did it at the West Side Cafe, and I wasn't really involved in it at that point other than being an observer, is a girl came through and she played, I think it was a viola, size-wise. It wasn't a, it couldn't have been a bass. And it wasn't a violin, but she would play it like a guitar. Oh, is that right? And it made a very unique sound. And she did huh. it somewhat as a gimmick. I see. Because if you were just another one of the people in the line that's playing a guitar and you know it's like oh yeah but oh look what she's doing <laughs> it kind of moves you forward up the pecking order or whatever you want to call it right and she basically just finger picked it huh well it's interesting um if i'm learning a new song and i want to try and figure out um the the melody i'll I'll play the violin like a guitar. Well, you really? Uh, yeah, with just my thumb yeah. or my, my first finger. but um, And then I'll add the bow, and uh, that's when it becomes more of a challenge. Now, the thing that I've always been curious about is you watch sometimes, and while they're playing, sometimes some of those filaments or whatever you want to call them break, and then so when they're playing, there's a tail down there. Uh-huh. Does that happen... Often, or is that just a... Hasn't happened to me ever. No, okay. Not yet. Um, it's interesting. Um, I, I've learned a lot since I've inherited my father's uh, violin. Um, but uh, there are these uh, insects called bow mites that actually uh, eat the, the horse hair. The, the bow has horse hair. Um, and apparently there are these tiny little um, bumps or something on the uh, horse hair that actually allows for the sound to, to come out as clear as it does. Anyway, uh, these bow mites will chew away, and I remember picking up a bow. Uh, it wasn't my dad's bow. It was uh, another bow that my uh, son had purchased. And so... Uh, they had chewed away all the, the horse hair from the frog. And so it was just dangling. And I thought, oh, my God, what happened? So I took it to a friend of mine, and he said, oh, you probably had bow mites. Hmm. So, it, it, yeah, violin's a pretty interesting instrument. That would be an interesting name for a bluegrass band. <laughs> That's right. The bow mites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it bromide? <laughs> they used to mix in the yeah, you know, right. from the old commercials back when we were kids, right? And then out of that came that that came first, I think, didn't it? Or then Alka Seltzer kind of took over, right? I thought that was the coolest thing. We didn't get to watch television much when I was a kid. One, we had poor reception because it was the aerial. Back then, the aerials didn't work well past thirty miles, and we were a good fifty to seventy miles from the the, the stations. I see, but. I always thought that that looked so cool when they would, you know, put the powder in the glass, pour the water, and it would just foam right up, and then they drink it, and I think, I want to try that. It's like soda. <laughs> and then my mom said, you want to try that? Sure. <laughs> that was a rude awakening. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like when I was a kid, I always wanted to have coffee. You know, yes. I'd see my parents have coffee, and my, my parents said, you're not going to have any coffee. And I said, oh, come on, please. 
So they bought this stuff called Postum. Oh, yes, I remember Postum. Yeah. And they, they made it for me. <laughs> I decided I didn't want to have any more to do with coffee yeah. at that point. It's the same reaction I had to my first beer. Oh, is it? Because I would, I, my, neither of my parents ever drank. My aunts and uncles didn't drink. So that was foreign uh, to me. Uh-huh. And growing up in high school, of course, you didn't. And I was involved in sports. So you had a very long day. You got through, got home from sports. You had dinner. You did your homework. You went to bed. And we did a lot of the family gatherings, like you mentioned. Uh-huh. And we had foreign exchange students. So on weekends, we'd have, oh well, they'd either come to our house, or we'd go to somebody else's houses, potluck and the whole bit. And none of it involved alcohol. So for me, when I learned that my my friends in high school, and then when I got to college, beer was the king. Uh-huh. And I remember going down to, and of course, alcohol in the college, college dorms back in the you know the late sixties was a no no. And this fellow, and he was six foot nine, I remember, or six foot ten, and he wanted to for his, gosh, was it his eighteenth birthday? or his 20th birthday, something like that. He wanted to have Southern Comfort and beer. Oh. And there was three of us in the room because we had to secret it in. And he says, you got to try it. I said, I'm not trying that. And he says, well, have a beer. I said, I've never had beer. You never had beer. So I took a sip of that and I thought, who in their right mind would, <laughs> sort of like the first time you try a cigarette, it's like, right. no. <laughs> so when you started playing guitar, you said you started on the, the, the Gibson. Right. Um, is that, what? do you remember what model that is was? Um, it, it, it was a Starburst. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had one pickup. Um, and... Uh, like an ES-335 or ES something, or I've I, forgotten. I, 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 I don't think I ever knew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my brother asked to borrow it after a while. I, and uh, somehow it got lost. So wouldn't you like to have that back? Oh, now? absolutely! I love that guitar. Yeah, um, it was nice looking. It sounded good, um, but uh, anyway, it's gone. Did you start out as a strummer or a, a flat pick strummer, finger strummer, or a finger stylist, or how did how, what did your trans you know, transition in your musical career? So um, during, while I was. Uh, taking lessons, I was picking uh, melodies. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, I was using the Mel Bay method yeah. and uh, eventually got into some uh, chord melodies. Um, and then I became a strummer. When I, when I turned 16, I sort of uh, went my own way in terms of the guitar and, and the music that I played. I became a big fan of folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a kid of the 60s, and so Arlo Guthrie was one of my heroes, still is to this day. Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, who else? Uh, and I, I I also was a big John Denver fan and did a lot of John Denver uh, songs, and I would basically strum. I didn't really uh, play much in terms of melody, although I could if I had the music in front of me. Um. And again, when I retired, I decided that I wanted to be able to play um, at least a lick or two. And so I started learning different scales. Uh, I knew how to play all the major and minor scales, but I I didn't know the pentatonics and uh, how they're used and uh, knew very little about the blues. Um, 
And so I started branching out a little bit. Now, I say, and I have said many, many times, I'm going to learn that on the guitar. Okay. I'm really bad at sitting down and practicing it. Uh huh. So was that because of all the teaching you did where you could focus and learn all that? Because I would have given up after three or four days probably. Really? Yeah, just gone back to what I normally do. <laughs> it's called lazy guitar. Um, I think uh, when I was younger, I probably would have given up, mm -hmm. you know, quickly. Um, but when I, you know, was in my 70s, 72, um, 70 to 72, I started working hard at that stuff. And um, it after a while, because I had practiced scales for so long, um, it sort of came natural to me to sit down and learn a scale and then play it over and over. So, you know, if I were watching TV, for example, I'd pick up my guitar and I'd practice that scale while, mm -hmm. you know, they, the commercials were going on. And eventually I was able to memorize them that way. Now, you say memorize, do you mean finger memorization? Like, in other words, we're training our finger... Yes. Fingers to move that way. Right. Yes, it is memorization, but it's different than memorizing a script. Exactly. Or, or the lyrics yep. to a song. Right. Muscle memory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And because there's five different patterns, it became a bit of a challenge. But um, so I know box one really well. <laughs> and I think everybody out there that plays guitar probably knows that one really Not well. Not everybody. <laughs> but in any case, uh, you know, I started working on the other... Uh, so that I could play up the neck as well. And mm -hmm. um, there's some really good uh, stuff on YouTube that, you know, has helped uh, in terms. I still struggle with, um, you know, I think that there is, as a technician, I'm probably, uh, I would say, in the very good range. But as a creative uh, artist, I have a long way to go. You know, I... I don't know how to add the licks. I don't know. Um, I can't create my own. Uh, I have to, you know, pick them up from somebody else. And I'm hoping that eventually some of that will rub off on me and I'll be able to add my own. I, I have a, um, in fact, his name's right there, Richie Ricker. He was doing, he did the, the harmony vocals on the Fredericktown Christmas, but he's, you usually see him playing the bass, but he can play just about anything. He's one of those people that, if he has never seen a particular instrument mm -hmm. ever, mm -hmm. maybe it's from Africa or something, you hand it to him, and then you go to use the restroom, and you come back, he's playing it. <laughs> he just gets it. Uh -huh. You know, there are people like that. And on one of my songs, or a couple of my songs, he plays the bass. And he just wants to know, basically, well, just play through one time for me. Okay, okay, okay. He's just trying to memorize, you know, okay, he's going to make a change here. Okay. And he used to come out when I'd play live sometimes if I performed close to where he lived. Um, Linganore Wine Cellars and Red Shedman Farm Brewery in, in Mount Airy. He lived only about four miles from there. So I would be setting up and he'd just show up with his bass amp and bass guitar. He goes, do you mind? No. <laughs> because he sings good harmonies. And um, in that type of a venue, it's mostly cover songs. And most of the ones I sing are from our time period, 60s, sure. 70s. And he knows those songs. But then I'd play an original. And I'd, I'd look over at him and say, Richie, 
I'm sorry, this is one of my originals. You haven't heard this yet. And he goes, okay. And I would start and all of a sudden I realized there's a bass player playing right <laughs> along with me. And it sounds like we've rehearsed this 4,000 times. Uh-huh. And I said, how can you do that? He goes, I just hear it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I can't do that. No, I cannot either. So when you were talking about the creative side, there are people that just, they just get it. Right. Yes, did they learn scales? More than likely. But they, it's like, it always, I'm, I marvel at the, the performer who's strumming and singing, and then they throw in a little run. Yeah, right. And Doc go Watson. right back. Without missing a beat. That's right. I would literally have to stop and then go, plunk, 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 stop, go back to the strumming. Right. How they, that just doesn't work in my, my brain doesn't function that way, uh -huh. nor do my fingers. <laughs> so what, what is your preferred genre of music? You mentioned John Denver, all that stuff. Is that what you prefer to play? Like if you're just sitting around at home and you have a half an hour to play guitar and sing or play, what are you playing? Um, well, it's a mix, uh, a mix of John Denver, uh, Steve Goodman, uh, Arlo Guthrie. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably my three top artists that I would uh, say, I would just play their, their yeah. stuff. Yeah. Now, the, um, that's why I don't progress, because if I have the time to sit down and play, I'll go right back to, the, there's always like the one song is the first one I always play. Uh -huh. It's when I go to a music shop and I, I ask them, do you mind if I try that guitar? There's certain chords, it's the first chord. <laughs> you know, a G chord is in the first ones if I'm just gonna, I just wanna hear the whole. And I'll go up to the 14th fret and play the beginning of Beginnings by Chicago Transit Authority because I wanna see if it intonates well. Uh -huh. And I just love that sound anyway. So we, we tend to be, I think, Creatures of habit. Uh -huh. So yes, we'll go back and play those. I guess that there are favorite songs to play, not necessarily, but sometimes our favorite song to also listen to. Right. Yeah. Right. I have to admit, um, I, I've learned a whole lot of other songs um, because Barry Bryan has convinced me that that's what I need to do. <laughs> Rather than be stuck in just one uh you know, set of uh, songs that I've played since I was a kid, you know, I needed to branch out. And, and he's really pushed me to, to do that. You know, he's another person who plays, when you see him, most of the time he's playing bass. Right. And I've only heard him what I call doodle on the guitar. And it's usually where we are somewhere rehearsing for a show and he's playing bass and there's three of us or four of us. And we've finished for the day. And he says, do you mind if I just played that guitar? <laughs> And he'll sit over to the side and I'm having a conversation with someone. So I'm not really listening, but I think he's probably a very good guitar player. Oh, I, there's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. He, and it's, he's not only does he know uh, technically what to do, but he's also creative mm -hmm. in what he does. Um, and I think that comes from all the experience that he has. It's amazing. I, I love listening to his stories. Well, when you talk to him next, remind him that Todd has tried many times to get him to agree to be on the podcast. Okay. And he just basically says no. <laughs> and it's... Uh, what a shame, because he's got some great stories. Well, that's just it, because the unfortunate part of running shows and um, being on a committee or something like that is 
I know a large number of musicians, but the, one of the reasons I started doing the podcasts were, was I love backstories. Like when you watch a movie and the extra is the director talking about this scene or the actors talking about, you know, how they had to prep. I love backstories or the author of the book talking about how difficult or easy it was to turn it into a movie. Sure. You know, dialogue changes, things like that. Right. So because I didn't get the chance to chat with, I would be up on the stage running sound and I'd look at, and people are chit chatting all the time. You know, they got to know each other really well. Right. My conversations were, do you need anything from me? Do you have a preamp that you need to plug in? Right. Um, how does that sound to you? Sounds good to me. That kind of thing. Right. And, you know, we're only doing two songs. Remember, two songs, not three, two. <laughs> Don't do a medley. You know, that. so that was my conversation with most of the folks. So doing the podcast, it's my way of delving into the backgrounds and the stories of people who I know or I'm learning, getting to know. Uh-huh. And it's been fascinating for me, and I'm sure you'll agree because you're an educator, is when I've taught whatever I'm teaching, I learn more than the students. That's absolutely true. Yeah, which absolutely is one of the reasons true. I love doing it because I know I'm going to learn from this. Uh-huh. So that's why I do the podcast. I see. You know, because I, I pick up on things, and, and I love microphones. I love the sound of the it goes back to being a kid and listening to the radio DJs. Right. And they always had that big, you know, and you know, <laughs> the one thing is you want to get the low end, you go up close to the microphone and you want to be thinner voice. You go way back like this, but I it's, see. it's just, uh, I love the sound of that. So this is another way for me to be able to speak into a microphone from the comfort of my office. Right. Instead of having to find a gig somewhere and do it on stage. If sure. that makes any sense. Sure. It does. Perfect sense. And I think um, most of us, maybe not most, but I'll still use, most of us don't think that our background is of that much importance and whether people would be interested in it or not. But I look at it as, yeah, they actually do. We just lived it, so to us it's no big deal. That's right. <laughs> no, it's just what I did, you know. Well, when you had mentioned, uh, you know, doing a podcast, I thought to myself, what the heck can I talk about? Mm -hmm. um, and music has been a part of my life, my entire life. You know, I sang in the chorus in high school, played in the band. You did? Yeah, I played the tuba. And if, if, you, put, if you put the tuba, the sousaphone, next to me, it probably was almost as tall as I was and almost weighed as much as I did. <laughs> and I did that for two years. So I learned how to read the bass clef yeah. from that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in college, I sang in the chorale. And then the, the chorale director created a group like the old Christy Minstrels. Yes. I played guitar for that. Um, and then he was asked to put together a, a band for a play, and I played bass for that. Hmm. Um, so music has always been a part of my life. It's just um, something that I, I really love, and I could probably talk all day about that. Now, was it frustrating as an adult and being an educator and just work in general and raising family and things like that because you weren't, you didn't have the time to spend on music as much as you might have wanted? Um, or did you just take it in stride and realize that, you know, I'll do it when I can and I'll enjoy it? And I tried to take it in stride, 
but th- there were times when it was frustrating. But I've always it, I've always had some outlet when I was in Chicago um, and teaching and you know uh, raising a family and all that. Uh, they talked me into directing a a cor- uh, folk mass group. So I you know that was every Sunday I would get up there and you know sing with this small group around around me and so that you know sort of fulfilled that outlet mm-hmm. um when i got here i did the same thing for a while um and then it wasn't until i found the uh the jams and the old-time musicians mm-hmm. i i didn't even know there was a genre called old time you mm-hmm. know i always thought of it as bluegrass and they would probably uh, be irate now <laughs> with me saying that, you know connecting the two like that but uh you know finding that group and then eventually running into barry uh has opened a whole meeting you mm-hmm. uh has opened up a whole new world for me well and i'll agree with you there what tra- has transpired since the the onset of of the covid virus where we in all walks of life Globally, we lost time, right. basically. Right. I mean, we didn't lose time. We just lost the ability to do things during that time. Right. And, of course, one of the things that went away was live performing. The, But then Zoom and online stuff kind of took over the people who were savvy enough to learn that and, and do it. But doing the open mics, and I, I got burned out. You do open mics for so long, and you, if you keep doing them, you don't realize how tired you are. It's when you stop for a period of time and somebody says, Oh, you want to do it again? Uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you can fill in occasionally, but to do it again, because it is somewhat of a grind. The thing about the open mics and the songwriter showcases, like we did at Brewer's Alley. And I used to do one on Sundays at the Frederick coffee company is I was continually meeting new performers and new musicians Uh during COVID. We didn't have that. And since COVID, for the acoustic musician like ourselves, the coffee house venue circuit has pretty much gone away. Right. Because like Mike Winder at the Frederick Coffee Company, a wonderful man, I've so enjoyed working with him over the years, and he was very gracious to allow me to, to schedule as much music as I could, which was usually in the, in the evening, occasionally afternoons, is during COVID, because everything was so restrictive, he would close, he kept his business open, but would close at five or six. And once things opened up, he realized, well, gosh, I don't need to stay open in the evenings anymore because I actually lost money in the evenings. Oh, wow. When we would do music, the open mics, we would fill the room, but the people would stick around for three hours. Mm. They'd order a sandwich and that was it, or they'd get a coffee and that was it. And although the room was full and there was a lot of chit chat, the cash register wasn't ringing as often, but you still had to have the same complement of employees. They then had to clean up late in the evening. They had to run to the bank when it's dark out. He was always worried about the young kids doing that because coffee houses tend to be more of a younger employee sure. age range. And so those of us who love to perform that, what I call the acoustic stuff, or some people refer to as folk, Folk to me is singing about rivers and streams and, and things like that. Right. Acoustic is playing acoustic instruments, maybe amplified, and singing pop songs or folk songs or whatever. Right. So I like to refer to it as acoustic. But 
we've had to make do with the wineries, the breweries, the distilleries, which are wonderful, with the exception that most of them, to look really neat on the inside, a lot of hard surface, metal, hardwood, high ceilings, they're echo chambers. Right. <laughs> so just to have 40 people in one of those rooms having normal conversations, it's chatter. Yes. You add live music to that, and you've just risen the bar even higher. So now the people have to shout at each other. The musicians can't hear themselves, so they turn the volume up, which makes the people talk louder. <laughs> and it's just, it's a cacophony. Yeah. And it's it's not the pleasure, pleasure it was singing in a coffee house or a small room. Right. So I do miss that. And I don't get my email list has shrunk oh. of musicians. And the reason I say that is some of them have moved. Uh -huh. Some of them have passed away, some of the older ones. the, And some of them just don't do it anymore. I see. And so, and so many people now, I'll send out an email and I don't get a response. Is that right? And I'm thinking, why? They used to respond all the time. And then I'll get a message on Facebook. Hey, haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> well, that's not what Facebook's for. That's right. That's what an email or a text or a phone call is. You got it. <laughs> I, I had one musician who I kept sending him emails saying, would you like to perform at, because I, I booked a couple of venues. Never heard back from him. And about six months later, he sends me a message on Facebook and says, hey, would you forget about me? I'd love to play. How come you never contact me? I said, I've been sending you email. Oh, I don't use email anymore. I use Facebook. I said, no, that's, I don't. If you'd like to play and you'd like to work with me, it's by email. Yeah. I'm on Facebook a lot, mm -hmm. but I don't use it as a way to uh, communicate with people. You know, I use email or phone yeah. call or something like it that. It is wonderful to connect with high school classmates. Yes. <laughs> but outside of that, it's what, and, and it's wonderful to once in a while see some, some musical performance that I, you know, I couldn't have gone to it back in the 1970s because I was working or doing whatever. <laughs> and I say, and there's the concert and I and it's on YouTube, but it's linked into Facebook right. and I click on it. I'm watching the concert. It's, yeah, right. That's what I love it. But I don't like all the other stuff. Uh -huh. so, so from a tuning standpoint on your guitars, do you tune to pitch or do you, do you lower your tunings? No, I tune to pitch. Do you? Now, I, I don't know if that'll ever change. My, I used to, when I sang in the chorus and in uh, the chorale, I sang first tenor. Mm -hmm. So my voice was a lot higher. As I've gotten older, my voice has changed. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, eventually I may have to change the tuning. Now, do you still try to sing the songs with the same fingerings in the same chord structures, or have you altered them to, to, so that your voice can accept the... I have not changed. Mm -hmm. I use the chords that I've learned for yep. that song. Because so. I, I had to start, for the longest time, I tuned a half step down. Okay. It was just more comfortable for my vocal, vocal range. range. Now I play a full step down. Uh -huh. It's just more comfortable. Because what happens is if I play in an ensemble and they say, you know, we're, we're doing this, and, you know, C progression. Great. I'm way up here. I can't do it. Yeah, right. And so if I want to do some of my songs and have people join me on my songs, 
or if I'm going to do some America tunes. My buddy up in New England had me play with his band, played at Patriot Place, which is where the Patriots play football. Uh-huh. And they do, an, you know, kind of a, it's not an acoustic cassette really, but he plays an acoustic, electrified acoustic, and he had me come up and we did two or three America tunes that I play regularly. So we didn't have to really learn anything new. We just had to get our timing down. And then I played on a couple other ones. The, but they, everybody tunes to pitch. And so for me, I'm way up here like this. It's just, that doesn't work. So I, so if I have, like, if I said, you know, guy, you want to play and we'll do the, this American tune, I would hand you a guitar that's already tuned to full step down. <laughs> or you could tell me the key that you're playing in. That, And yeah. I could, yeah. you know, I think I know enough to be able to, to switch to a, a different key. A lot of times um, I, I'll notice uh, the old time gu- guitar players will use uh uh, capo, yes, and I'll play a new original. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they're playing in the key of A, uh, if the song is in the key of A, they'll you know capo up three, yeah, and then play G. I'm playing in the key of A, yeah, because I I just know that. And I remember my dad once saying t- uh, to me, um, "You don't ever want to use a capo." He says, "Cheaters use capos." Well, you know. I, I would argue with him today because there's times I've used a capo. Chet Atkins used to use a capo. Yes, he did. <laughs> and and he he turned me on to Chet Atkins. Yeah. You know, Chet Atkins is probably my favorite guitarist. Yeah. Um, I'd love to be able to play like him, but uh, So you so you learned music theory fairly young, basically. Yes. And that is the one thing that has for me because I did not. I see. You know, we had music elementary school but it's really basic basic stuff my mom had asked both me and my two brothers if we wanted to learn or take piano lessons and we had an old piano wasn't in tune it's the best instrument to learn that it is and you know all we could remember was our buddies going oh i gotta go to piano (laughs) lessons i hate this so when she said you want to take piano lessons no thank you for asking (laughs) i wish right even if it had only been for a year because Uh The and I had a, a, a piano player in college who was the piano player who accompanied the Glee Club. That was in the Glee Club my freshman year of college. And then I went to the Oratorio Society, which was much more of a concert, a vocal group. And then they had one above that, but I was not to that level. But anyway, the piano player was phenomenal. I mean, he could play anything. Uh-huh. And he said to me one time, he said, uh, "Do you play an instrument?" I said, "I play guitar." He goes, "Oh, good." you ever learn piano? And I said, no, I, I didn't want to. And he goes, you know what, Todd, you can go anywhere in the world. If you stay at a hotel and they have a piano, you can sit down and people will come right over and you can be the hit because piano music is universal. Hmm. I thought, hmm, hmm. maybe I should have taken those lessons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, not only did I start with uh, uh, theory, but I also went on and got a minor in, in music. Oh, you did? Yes. I wanted to, when I, I had a, a really great opportunity in my sophomore year of college. Uh, I was at a fraternity party and the, the choral director was there. And we were all sitting around singing Irish songs, you know, drinking our beers and all that kind of thing. And he came up to me and he says, um, you really have a good voice. He said, I, I'd like you to join our choral group. And I was just like, you know, oh, wow, this is pretty cool, you know. But he's 
ever asked me to do this, right? So I joined and eventually became a student conductor. Oh, wow. So, uh, and I had him for class. Um, so I learned more theory while I was there. And then after I left, I wanted to become a choral director. Um, and so I went to the uh, University of Loyola in Chicago and, and took up harmony, uh, which was the next step. And then uh, my job sort of got in the way and I wasn't able to go on beyond that. Um, and never did fulfill the dream of directing a choral group, but uh, that was one of my dreams. I just had a thought. Places like Homewood, Buckingham's Choice, the assisted living or the, the organizations that have that transitional housing, Yes, they're always looking for some sort of entertainment to offer to the residents, and the residents are, are on all different levels. And I would be willing to bet you, especially some of the larger ones where they have hundred, hundreds of people. And I say this only because having gone to the Messiah at the, the Winebury last night, I was absolutely amazed how many people in the audience, and the, the theater was probably 90% full, uh -huh. how many in there were singing right along in the parts where they allow you to, to sing along, right. and how many good vocalists there were. Uh -huh. Now, maybe some of those folks sing at the choir at church, or maybe not. But I am sure there are people in, say, Homewood or Buckingham's Choice or some of the other ones who would love to, on a weekly basis or however often, start a choral group, but they would need someone to direct it. Ah. And it sounds like you have just the qualification. <laughs> wow. And you, you basically start off, you know, figuring out who's, you know, tenor, you know, soprano, right. baritone, whatever it is, and moving them around like you would, and then picking a fairly easy tune that they'd all recognize so they don't have to read music necessarily uh -huh. um, because some of them might be able to sing really well but can't read music, but you could always have it there. And then just work your way into more complicated things to a point where, because it is more of a hobby for them, but I would be willing to bet you it, it, it would be like the people who love to play bridge. So once a week, they have a bridge party. Right. And that's just, they look forward to it all week. The open mics at the Frederick Coffee Company, when I started, wasn't so much the open mics. It was the Sunday night all folked up called Snafu. And it was a songwriter event that uh, David Morreale put on. That's how I got into writing songs and, and performing them. And I would look forward to that all week long. Is that right? And then cringe after my performance, knowing that I... <laughs> bungled that one and this, oh God, I missed that chord, you know, <laughs> but it was like a happening. And we all did that. Even the people who didn't perform, the people who would go to it. So I would think that would be the perfect thing for you. I never thought of that. You know, because I'm sure they would just absolutely jump at the chance. I, I've often uh, thought about going there and, you know, just singing to entertain them. Oh yeah. And you could do that as well. Uh -huh. Because many of those places, and they, many have a budget for that. You know, I could care less whether they pay me. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It'd be more just for, I'm having a good time. Right. But I would think they would, because they have event directors. And the, it's like the person, someone made a comment to me about some of the performers at some of these wineries. Like, gosh, that person... 
how do they get all these gigs? They're not that good. I said, they're probably really good at promoting themselves. And the other thing is the person who probably sets the music schedule and hires the people probably doesn't work weekends. They work Monday through Friday. So they never hear the person. Uh -huh. They're just happy. Oh gosh, I filled that date. Uh -huh. So unless someone at the winery contacts them and say, Hey, don't bring that person back. They were horrible. Uh -huh. They're just happy. They filled the calendar. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, so there's an event director, I'm sure for each one of those, they might wear multiple hats and they have another job, but they do that on the side. They would just jump at the, the because if you're doing something for those the people who live there and all the event director has to do is say, can you do it on what day of the week? Could you do it? And from what time, what time here, they don't have to do anything. Yeah, I see. All they have to, to know is you can show up or gosh, I'm not feeling well. This, I don't want to come out. You know, we'll have to cancel today so they can let everybody know. I see. But it sounds like you'd be really good at that. Well, I, I'd be willing to give it a shot. Yeah. I can see you up there with the baton and the... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still have a baton somewhere. Do you really? Yeah. I, I started a group when I was in Chicago and we actually did a, a real easy version of the Messiah um, for the church. There weren't too many people that came, but uh, it was it was such a thrill to be able to direct, you know, a bunch of my friends. Uh, guys who, if as a kid I would have said to them, you want to come and join us and sing, they would never have <laughs> even entertained the idea. But as we got older, they uh, either their girlfriends talked them into coming or... Uh, they, they overcame that, whatever it was uh, as a kid that, you know, prevented them from doing that kind of thing. Now, do you find... And they always wanted to sing bass. Oh, did, did they really? <laughs> Whether they could or not, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something about that, you know, <laughs> robust. It was interesting in high school that, that um, if somebody asked, you know, what, what section are you in, I'd say tenor, they'd say, oh... Somebody come up and say, "Well, what, what, what about you? Well, I'm a bass. Oh, they, yeah. you know, they were the star. Yeah, the tenor, the tenor is the frou-frou guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and unfortunately, I was a tenor. So it's like last night there were four soloists. There was a tenor, bass. He's actually a baritone, but he was doing the bass part. Uh -huh. There was the mezzo. Is it mezzo soprano? Yes. And then I've forgotten what they, they, they called the other one. She was more, she was down a little bit. And I, I can't remember the names of all. Well, there's an alto. She, but she was probably doing the alto part. Okay. But the, the, evidently the soprano, she got the biggest applause. I thought, and my wife thought that the girl who sang the alto part was better. Is that right? But I think it's sort of like in football, the quarterback is the one who gets the accolades. Yeah, the running right. back who just ran hundred, you know, eighty yards to score the touchdown. Everybody claps and whatever, but MVP is the quarterback. That's right. It's sort of like that. The the soprano, because they they have to hit these high notes, mm -hmm. is oh my gosh, they can do that. Whoa, they're great. <laughs> well, but this person was just as good, if not better. Right. But it's not that extreme. I guess it's the extreme, like you're saying. Everybody wants to be the base. Yeah. Yeah. So when you direct a choral group like that, do you sing along with them? No. No. Well, uh, during rehearsals, I do. Yeah. Um, so I really broadened my range uh, when I was directing that group. Mm -hmm. um, but then I stopped, and so my range shrunk. But, uh, yeah, I would sing e each part with them because 
um, we were singing in three parts and the guys, the girls caught on right away. And, you know, the only time I really sang with them was when they were having, uh, when they were struggling to find the right note. Um, and I had to have a piano player, right. someone to play the piano so that I could hear the note myself because sometimes it's difficult to hear those. Anyway, um, the guys were really a struggle to get to sing on key especially. Is that because they they weren't necessarily involved with singing because they were too involved with sports when they were younger? I, I, I think it was lack of experience, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. Just lack of experience. They they all were able to sing well enough to carry a tune. Um, but, you know, once you div try and divide things, then they would get lost. Well, I, you know, I sang in that glee club, and that was in, in since it's guys, it would not have been four-part harmony, but it was, you know, a lot of different ranges. In the oratorio society, yes, you had the sopranos, the altos, the baritones, and so forth, and the tenors. So you were all singing different parts. Right. And I love that, how it always seems like the female voices lead and then the male voices come in. Never seems to be the other way around. Yeah, right. I'm like, why is that, you know? Uh -huh. And I, it, there must be a reason. Um, mainly because I think uh, the sopranos usually are singing the... the um, the melody main, line? Yeah, the main theme, yeah. the, the mm -hmm. melody line. Yeah. And everybody else is sort of supporting that. Sometimes the tenors will come in with a part of the melody line. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, for the most part, I think it's because it's the melody. Yeah. Let's go back to guitars for a moment. Okay. Some of the guitar players who listen to this podcast are interested in, they already know you play your, e, is it E-Ross, E-R-O-S-S or... Um, or E-R-O-S? R-O-S. Okay. The, or your, your Martin guitar, and you own the Gibson. They're going to be curious what brand of strings and what gauge do you play? I usually play medium gauge, and I stick with um, the uh, Martin strings, mm -hmm. um, mainly because, uh, you know, I'm sort of a Martin guy, I guess. Yep. You know, I think that they understand guitars and what, um, although I have to admit, I called, uh, I didn't call the Martin, did I call the Martin shop? I called uh, somebody, it might have been uh, Sweetwater, and asked them what uh, string I should put on my Martin. Um, and they gave me a suggestion, and it, it just didn't sound right. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the ones that I was using, and I, I can't tell you the numbers or anything. But yeah. So I went back to the numbers, or the, to the ones that I was using. Now, how often do you find you need to change the strings? Uh, I'm, a ch I'm changing them a lot more frequently now than I did because I find that um, even though some of the strings are treated with this special coating so that they don't erode, I, I can still see some of the erosion on the strings. And when I start seeing that, then I know it's time to change. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times, uh, that's especially true of my Martin. Uh, the Eros, I play a lot, so there's a lot more on. But I, as soon as it starts to sound dead, mm -hmm. that's when I'll change. Now, do you, when you strum, are you strumming with a pick or your fingers, or do you do it both ways? I, I do both, but, um, you know, if... Strumming-wise, I usually use a pick. Mm -hmm. um, and then every once in a while, I'll try and get my fingers going to, to finger pick. Uh, 
arpeggio the chords and mm-hmm. stuff. Now, if you if you play a, a song where you're just finger style, yes, do you use finger picks or do you use your bare fingers? I use uh, thumb pick and uh, bare fingers. Okay, yeah, a lot of people use. I've just never. I had more success with the thumb pick, the metal or the plastic finger I picks. I ended up poking people's eyes out with those things, <laughs> <laughs> or getting caught in the string and just yeah, forget right. this. But I, I, I'm just bare fingers because I, when you play bare finger and you put a thumb pick on, you, your thumb ra- is raised up, and I didn't stick with it long. Uh. Uh, but I must admit, people who I know who use a thumb pick and then their fingers, they have a much clearer low note, where yes. mine can be yes. a little little thuddy, uh-huh. muddy. I mean, I like that, but it's not as clear. Uh-huh. Because the, the you know the pick gives you that sure. It's like when I was playing back in the the nineteen seventies with my friend Rich, we were doing a duo, and I played a Martin D twenty eight at the time. Uh-huh. He played a Yamaha twelve string that he put just kept six strings on, and we used a you know a microphone out front. Of course, we put it right in front of the sound hole, which you're not supposed to do. And I would always strum with just my fingers, and I had to learn to use a flat pick to strum because with that microphone in front of the sound hole. It, my guitar just sounded way too boomy and muddy. I see. So using a pick thinned it out a little bit and made it much more pleasurable for the people sitting in the audience. And uh, also my partner could hear what I was playing better. I see. Uh, but it depends on the song. Uh, yes, right. Yeah. Right. So what song are you learning right now, if you have one that you're learning? I'm trying to uh, learn uh, what's uh, caught me off guard here. Let me see. Um that's my job. <laughs> uh, I can't remember Who's the it title. By? It's um, when people ask me questions like this, my, right. mind, my mind goes blank right away. Well, you know what? I just noticed we're at an hour and 16 minutes, so we can just leave it there and pick that conversation up at another time. Is that fair? Yeah, that's completely fair. So have you had fun? Absolutely. This was a lot. Um, I'll tell you, you're great at sort of drawing things out. And I felt very comfortable. I know that I was, I told you I was, I would be nervous, but I, I felt so uh, relaxed. Uh, it was just like we were having a conversation. Well, that's all it is. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. Yeah. The, the one thing you allowed me to do this time is you allowed me too much airtime. Oh. <laughs> I have to remember that I'm the host. I'm supposed to be directing everything to you so you can... <laughs> But anyways, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it was my pleasure. And for those of you listening, thanks for tuning in to the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio podcast series. And you can check it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or you can go to Podbean. Uh, Most people just use uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. So thanks so much, and we will catch you next time.